Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. Over the next few months, we're tracing the lineage of female monsters in horror cinema. And in each episode of this series, I'm joined by a special guest to deep dive into a monster movie or two. We're now more than halfway through the season and getting into some fascinating, often underseen or underdiscussed films from the 2000s. And today's episode is all about vaginas. Namely, a tooth vagina. Actually, a killer one. The 2007 horror comedy Teeth takes on the myth of the vagina dentata. And in the film, which mixes slapstick, body horror and horny teen movie tropes, teenage chastity advocate Dawn discovers that she has a toothed vagina when she becomes the object of male violence. This grisly premise sets the scene for much hilarity and a lot of it at the expense of hapless, horny teenage boys. If this sounds appealing to you, then the film is available to watch now on the horror streaming service Shudder. I'm joined in this episode by friend of the final ghost, writer and podcaster Becky Dark, for what turns out to be one of the funnest episodes of the series so far. As always, our conversation will contain spoilers from the very beginning, and also be warned, in case that is not your bag, there are a lot of dick jokes. And with that said, enjoy our conversation about teeth. Becky, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Hello, Anna. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Probably not as relaxed as you. You've just come <laughs> back from a lovely, gorgeous little holiday. I've just had a delove a, a delovely. This is how chilled I am. I've forgotten. <laughs> I've literally forgotten how English works. A delovely holiday. <laughs> <laughs> which is a mix between delightful and Aww. lovely. Um, yeah, we've been we've been gothing it up in Whitby, um, hanging out with Big Drac himself and uh, eating a lot of fish and chips. It's been great. Oh, honestly, a dream. If I could just hang out with vampires, eat fish and chips all day long, sign me up. That's that's how I want to live. Yeah, it was it was really great, and uh, we were chatting a bit before we started recording, and like. There were just dogs everywhere. It was, you know, it was, it was like, yeah, it was dreamy. So yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very chill. I know that you have had um, a much more stressful kind of 24, 48 hours of uh, lectures and travel and all that kind of stuff. So it's fine. We'll support each other through, you can energize me and I will try and, you know, chill you out a little bit with my vibes. <laughs> Oh, you've already chilled me out, babes. But also, you make it sound so glamorous. I was eating a Pratt sandwich on a train and watching teeth and freaking out the people around me on the train. I love that's, watching that's horror on life. trains so oh much. Like, like on your laptop, just shameless kind of showing the whole world around you, the little like fucked up world that we live yeah. in. I love it. I think I particularly might have freaked out the the woman on the because we're all social distancing. So um, the woman on the table next to me uh, moved quite suddenly. And I think it was because I was trying to take the perfect screenshot of the crab on top of the severed penis. Uh, so I think that might have done the trick. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Yeah, that is that's an image, isn't it? I thought it was hilarious. 
<laughs> so anyway, it was the lovely. It, yeah. Oh, the de lovely crab. <laughs> <laughs> so, Becky, let's talk about some severed dicks. Oh, please. All right. What can I do for you, miss? Is this your first time? Okay. So I imagine you have no idea what to expect. Not really. Don't worry. I'm not going to bite you. Just lie down. Put your feet right in here. Okay. Are you sexually active? No. I just want to be checked out. Okay, then. I think there might be something weird going on inside. What? What's... What did you put in here? There is something inside of me that's lethal. Dentata. What? It's Latin for teeth. It's what's inside me. Are you afraid? This is too weird. Just wait. To kick right off, um, what is your relationship with teeth? Had you seen this film before or was this the first time that you were watching it? Yeah, so I'd seen it before. I love this film like so much. And I was thinking about it because, you know, I, <laughs> I knew that I knew that that question was coming and I'm sort of thinking like, what is my relationship with this film? But I came to it relatively late. Um, and one of the reasons I did is because when it first came out, it was one of those films a little bit like, I think, Jennifer's Body um, and other kind of very female-centric horrors that kind of came out in the early to mid-2000s uh, um, mm -hmm. that just kind of didn't get a great, critical reception so I remember in those days I cared um, a little bit more about what the critics thought about films than I do now in my slightly more jaded late 30s um, and I remember seeing some reviews for Teeth <laughs> and sort of turning my nose up at it or, or rather not turning my nose up at it but rather reading reviews by people who had turned their nose up at it um, and I remember mm. Jennifer's body being a really similar thing. Like the reception was just, I think the people who were reviewing it, <coughs> men, <coughs> um, they just didn't get it, right? <laughs> so, so it Not it crabs. was something, uh, right? So it was something that um, didn't necessarily, um, like basically I didn't watch it when it first came out. I was kind of, I uh -huh. gave it a bit of a swerve. And then as I have started to become more involved in uh, sort of talking about horror rather than just watching it in a darkened bedroom on my own, um, this was one of those films that I was like, do you know what? This, this has got to be better than people said it was when it came out. I'm reading the synopsis and hearing other people talk about it and thinking like, this literally sounds like a film that was made for me. Like what was... 
2006 me thinking and so i yeah i watched it for the first time i don't know maybe two or three years ago and um just absolutely loved it straight off the bat and then i've re-watched it for um for talking about it with you today and again yeah i've just um it, it's funny actually i've I got a slightly different vibe from it this time i think i picked up on the mm-hmm. comedy beats a little bit more on it this time i think the first time i watched it i was just so kind of horrified by what um dawn was going through um and all of these sort of dreadful men and you know every guy like apart from um her stepdad really but um every guy that she seems to encounter is just just so hideous in their own special way um and i think the first time i watched it i was much more affected by that and this time um because obviously i kind of knew what was coming from the male side of the film i was able to Mm -hmm. appreciate the more kind of the sort of slightly like ridiculous comedy that kind of underlies it all as well and a lot more of the sort of irony and stuff so yeah big fan that's so interesting because i had a a similar recollection of it as more straightforward horror Mm -hmm. and when i was re-watching it on the train (laughs) on the train (laughs) back from (laughs) from a talk i had to do i was like this is ridiculously funny like this is very over the top kind of John Watersy comedy and I am here for it. 100%. But I wanted to ask you kind of uh, what do you make of this balance between horror and comedy and the tone that the movie straddles? I think it straddles that line really effectively actually and I think when people talk about horror comedy um, a lot of the time the emphasis is on whether it's funny and whether it's scary and to be a success and to be a successful horror comedy you kind of need to be both mm-hmm. i don't find teeth frightening but i think it's got such effective kind of shock and gore and um that the kind of the mythology elements that it wraps in mm-hmm. and stuff like I think the the world building of it um, around that is is really great. Like they don't kind of waste too much time um, talking about the practicalities behind the fact that she's got teeth in her vagina. It's just like you get a classic sort of um internet search where she reads a couple of web pages she has a doctor's examination and then boom like we know what it is um yeah I think I think tonally it's great like for for me as I say this time I found it more funny um and I don't find it like it's not a scary film I find it like Mm -hmm. satisfying you know (laughs) (laughs) oh Anna Oh, babe, you wait, you wait till some of my notes for this film are just things like just just the shot of her standing between her legs and it drops from her onto the floor is literally one of my favorite shots in cinema. And then mother, the dog is eating it. Ha 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 ha. All in caps. Like, that's literally it. That's my note. One of my last notes is the dog eats the dick. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's just so, so good. 
<laughs> it's so funny. But I laughed so hard at you saying satisfying because I imagine that there is a, a very different reaction from different <laughs> audiences to this film. I would assume so. I'm trying to be very uh, polite, but basically I think that this is this is a film that probably rings... It rings so true to so many kind of female experiences, but also to this like genuine fear of vaginas. Yeah. Culturally, visually, on screen, everything, and just this intense oversexualization of the female body at the same time as trying to um violate it in some ways. And at the same time as trying to suppress it, it's like this this ridiculous kind of seesaw of Mm. women are literally sex objects. That's all we care about. But if they show any interest in sex or their own sexuality, then they are like doomed or evil or dirty Mm. or sluts or whatever. Mm. I mean, like, you know, you look at... um, Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's recent single WAP and the reaction to that like oh firstly <laughs> banger and secondly Absolutely. the the like the vitriol that has come out about against that and the fact that these are two black rappers hip hop you know stars superstars Mm-hmm. superstars who have completely owned their own sexuality and put out this hit and like amazing it's not even like it's a it's just a kind of controversial song and that's why it's got interest like it's it's a legitimate tune right and then mm. you look at the other side like you know so many male artists in the same genre who do nothing through their lyrics but like sexualize and degrade women who are now up in arms and all fucking fluttering like oh I declare like it's so outrageous it's just it's (laughs) like that is what this film is to me this amazing kind of like I don't know this just fucking dysfunctional relationship as you say to like vaginas Becky Dark are you saying that teeth is the WAP of horror films? Yes, I am, my friend. Yes. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. <laughs> it just made me so happy. My whole day has gotten so much better. That was entirely organic as well. Thank that ain't you. in my notes. I didn't come up with that beforehand, babes. <laughs> I, I should point out, though, that this film is, interestingly, um, it isn't actually coming from a, a female creative voice. It's written and directed mm. by Mitchell Lichtenstein, which I learned literally 30 seconds ago is the son of Roy Lichtenstein, the pop artist. Yeah. Son of He's Roy. like one of my favorite artists of all time. And now all I can think of is that my biggest dream is to go around to their house for like macaroni cheese or something and just chat to them both. I'd be so happy. <laughs> So going back into the film, kind of what what do you make of Don O'Keefe, our protagonist? <laughs> I mean, she just goes on such a journey, doesn't she? Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Like we Bless literally her. we literally meet her um, on. Well, actually, we kind of first meet her in the flashback you sort of see their house in the shadow of this power station and her in the paddling paddling pool with her stepbrother, Brad, who is just like, (laughs) oh my God. I mean, we'll come on to talk about Brad. But 
then when we meet kind of grown up Dawn, she is on stage talking about like celibacy and abstinence. And so there's this um, Mm -hmm. kind of culture. uh, I only know it as an American thing, although I'm sure it's um, kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it goes on in other countries as well. But this idea of kind of the promise Mm -hmm. and the purity ring. And she Mm -hmm. is, she's this very pure, she keeps using the word purity, purity almost as this mantra. Um, we, we kind of see her like she's, you know, she's blonde. She wears these pastels and like jumpers with unicorns on or literally T-shirts with slogans about like saving yourself for marriage and stuff. She wears the purity ring to remind herself that, you know, she she will save herself for the father of her children, etc., um she she kind of cycles to and from work she says hello to her neighbors she listens to like christian rock in her bedroom like she's just this absolute like picture of kind of teen purity but you know that is only very much on the outside which it always is with these things because all you ever do with um organizations like um the promise is kind of mm-hmm. tamp tamp down the the hormonal urges and like the the sexuality of teens and therefore kind of it has this uh, i don't know like this risk i guess of becoming uh kind of volcanic like like you you just kind of you keep pushing it down until it's got nowhere further to go until it just like bursts out of you and that's kind of that's what happens in this film you know she she goes from being this very sort of pure and abstinent teen and and very kind of dedicated to it as well like you do get the feeling mm-hmm. that that there's a that comes from a root of authenticity with her it's not being forced yeah, upon absolutely. her um but then as soon as she meets you know Toby and they've got this like immediate mm-hmm. kind of like hormonal teenage chemistry connection thing um and it all sort of you know starts to go downhill from there which they fancy each other they fancy each other exactly they fan like how natural is that they just fancy each other um but because they're both kind of involved in this abstinence thing um they're not able mm-hmm. like they just don't feel able to kind of act on that in a natural way and um it all kind of goes to shit i guess <laughs> You mentioned a lot about kind of the ideas of purity and what's expected of Dawn and of teenage girls, but she does seem to want men. Like, she's definitely obviously got a crush on Toby and stuff. So Mm -hmm. what do you think her relationship with men is, especially as she discovers her ability? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well... (laughs) All this podcast is just gonna be us giggling, like just us vagina. giggling. It's just like it's such a horny film, and I've like I've been so excited to talk to you about it because it's on one hand like super horny, which is then um, it's kind of contrasted so beautifully within the film with this mm. like repression of all of those yes. feelings and this idea that the more you push them down, the more they're gonna bubble up, um, mm. but. Yeah, you know, her relationship with men is 
complicated. Like it is for any woman or anyone who's attracted to men as, you know, like romantically or sexually, like it's quite nice to see a film in which she's actually got a really healthy relationship with her stepdad. So there's nothing kind of Mm -hmm. bad going on there, which I think would have been a really kind of easy decision for the film to make. And, and it, you know, it doesn't do that, Mm -hmm. which is great. So she does have this like really nice kind of wholesome family relationship um, with her stepdad and with her mum, who, you know, sadly is really sick. Um, She's got mm-hmm. this completely fucked up relationship with her stepbrother, Brad, not from any fault of her own, but literally because he is essentially in love with her or believes that he is in love with her. Like he's basically infatuated slash obsessed with her. Yeah. Um, and at one point actually gets like, physically violent with his dad about it like why did you marry her mum like I'm why did you make her my sister and you know so much of Brad's kind of issues within the film um you find out really are kind of there's like this I don't know this like sewer of kind of like sort of inappropriate but not because they're they're related by blood but just because like she a hundred percent doesn't see her see him that way you know she she sees him as a brother yeah she sees him as a brother and i think that she really kind of would like that sibling relationship and to have him as a as another like supportive man in her life like his dad is to her um but all Mm -hmm. he sees her is is a sexual object and he has essentially let him like poison he has let that poison him um and then with toby he is essentially just a kind of like sex object to her but very reluctantly from her point of view it's like she totally crushes on him and she like fantasizes about him but she knows Mm -hmm. that in inverted commas that is wrong um and so you know there's a lot of guilt and kind of shame um that kind of comes along with that and then with the other guys in the film it's just like the doctor and that other boy that kind of fancies her and ends up like having the bet about her and and having sex with her and then essentially Mm. it's the like hitchhiker the the like the driver at the end who she hitchhikes with and it's like almost (laughs) every single guy in this film that she finds herself up against in some way just wants to kind of I don't know, like control her body and um, like sexualize her and and like sexually like assault or it's like Anna, <laughs> Anna, these guys, all of the them audacity, fucking, like the audacity, <laughs> they all deserve what's coming to them. That's all I've got to say. That first encounter with Toby, I think, mm. is the moment where the tone really shifts, like. It was so cutesy, very horny. And then that scene is real dark. Like, it's probably, I think, the darkest scene for me in a film where penises literally get, like, chomped off (laughs) and fall on the floor. That is the darkest scene. Because you can, like, you can see the, the point where he goes from, like, oh, you know, purity rings, hashtag abstinence, we're waiting for each other to like, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, you just passed out. 
oh no 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 that's okay, that's okay. I'll st- I'll still I'll still do what I need to do. There's like intense dark intent behind him and she it like it is a, it is a sexual assault scene and you're like suddenly taken aback at least I was so was like oh fuck wait no that's that's not the movie that I was expecting to see but fine um and it's a real her like journey after that because he well you know this is all spoilerific toby dies it's it's pretty much implied but we'll find that out a little bit later on in the film for sure when we see his body in the morgue but um she's wrestling with so much guilt over that she's Mm. like what is wrong with me what did i do wrong what the hell is inside of me like i'm a monster and we're with her the entire journey and it's it's a much it's a very heightened it's a comedic approach to it but it is kind of uh the journey of anyone who's been you know wronged or violated or assaulted in some way like there's a big chunk of it that is guilt and i think kind of in its own comedic in its own comedic way the film is kind of tapping into that so it's using extremes to showing something to how this young woman is reacting to she's done nothing wrong but she did inadvertently hurt someone but yeah, it's it's this is the one the one aspect of the film that I grapple with a little more because mm. like he does he 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 rapes her, you know, they they are having this very sort of initially sweet, you know, mm-hmm. encounter where they've gone swimming and stuff and as you say like that tone just changes so quickly and she is so clear and vocal at every single stage she like she tells him to stay in the water like don't Mm -hmm. don't get out of the water and come up here she says to him like um you know no like uh, i've made a sacred promise and then like he he sort of starts to to force himself on her and she's saying like you know get off like i'm she literally says at one point i'm saying no and he still like forces himself upon her um and then her kind of physical um like defense system kicks in and like yeah he you know he dies like he obviously he must bleed to death um because you know she bites his penis off with her vagina um but afterwards there is such a i feel Mm-hmm. that the film concentrates quite a lot on the fact that he's missing and she doesn't know where he is and like she kind of can't get hold of him mm-hmm. the fact that she almost feels guilty like there i know, there are feelings of guilt that come along with victims of sexual assault but i'm not sure that the film necessarily paints this as guilt that she feels that she kind of led him on or that she was somehow complicit in the rape i feel that it kind of paints it as guilt that she feels for you know the physical harm that she Mm -hmm. did him and then there's she just seems to get so distracted or the film seems to get so distracted by then her trying to figure out like the teeth thing and the fact Mm -hmm. that he's missing and the fact that she's guilty about the fact that she's hurt him that actually it doesn't deal a lot with the fact that he like full-on raped her and you know took her virginity took that 
that purity and chastity that she so authentically wanted to keep and sure you know that was very much grappling with her with her hormones and her like sexual feelings towards him but she was she was saying to him in the immediate moments like before that assault like you know we made a secret promise a sacred promise you know I'm saying no get off me Mm -hmm. and I just I just for me it's the one kind of aspect of the film that I feel just doesn't quite I don't know, work with maybe some of the messages that it otherwise successfully really manages to convey. Hmm. And what do you think are some of the the ones that it successfully manages to convey? Um, I think I think the irony between um, programs like like The Promise and kind of chastity Mm. rings and purity rings Mm. and the idea that that will somehow make teenagers less horny but actually it's just going to make them way more horny (laughs) um i think i think ideas around like women having Mm. control over their own bodies messages around um this idea of men um and, and kind of the the patriarchy having fear of female power and um this kind of mysticism that comes along with like female sexuality Mm. which i think the film does a really nice job of um conveying quite subtly like through just the action of the film and the actions of the characters but also then you just also get that really lovely bit where she's like done the classic online research and she's literally narrating it she's just like the myth springs from primitive masculine dread of the mystery of the woman and sexual union the power and horror of female sexuality the womb as a dark crucible and it's like the dark yeah, yeah, crucible we... that attached him is my favorite line ever <laughs> crucible <laughs> i mean i am never referring to my womb as anything other than the dark crucible from now on i hope that's so... a follow-up single to wap to be honest <laughs> dark crucible <laughs> so good <laughs> i'm ready to bob to the dark crucible by Hell megan the yeah. stallion hell yeah please please can you and i like maybe record a, like a i don't know some kind of um like like a goth sing like yeah, a goth sing nice, version of what nice. but it's like the dark crucible that hatched all men you must return to it some sort of concept album it would be amazing I love the the microfish, um, microfish. That's not even a thing anymore. Fuck! How old am I? Um, <laughs> the, the, like the googling of vagina dentata and kind of you know the monster vagina, and then her re- her reaction when she sees like that little the little kind of like statuette <laughs> of it. <Yeah. laughs> she, she like just like recoils from the screen. It's just so perfect then i mean it, it follows on quite a bit on in the film but then when they're sort of describing the the tooth that is stuck in toby they call it like a cross between a shark and an eel and yeah like, oh that, that that is quite and then, pointy and he's like he's like so you mean that this thing kind of attacked him in the doctor's like no it's human <laughs> it's like yeah it is <laughs> So what do you think then about the the vagina dentata as the monster? 
of the film. I love I love Dawn in this because she actually she's born this way. She doesn't become a monster. She's not mm-hmm. transformed into one. Mm-hmm. She always had this sort of internal defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And yeah, so I love that she goes on quite a different, like quite a kind of complicated journey with it as well. Like it starts off and she's so freaked out by it. And then she kind of comes to terms with it. And then by the end of it, like it it sort of protects her. And then by the end of it, she's sort of weaponizing it. And I really love that. I love that she... Throughout the course of the film, she really just kind of owns it. And like it's a mm. it's a double-edged sword because the only way that she can use it as a weapon is for her to kind of be violated. Because we we see her have sex successfully and like pleasurably that you know she enjoys and she's up for it and she's consenting and the upshot of that is that the kind of defense mechanism the dentata doesn't kick in right it doesn't um it doesn't attack and i think that that gives some real hope to the film it gives some hope for dawn in the future because it's like well as long as she's having sex that she is into then you know mm-hmm. it's it's not like it's gonna kind of interfere with her sexual pleasure in future, which is great. Um, and I love that she has it to kind of act as her protector, but at the same time, it's like she just shouldn't have to. But all of these guys just keep mm. essentially violating her. I'm a I'm a big fan of it as this kind of. Yeah, this like this defect, this defense mechanism for her, and if she's in threat or she's uncomfortable with kind of what's happening to her, then it kind of kicks in, and hopefully it means that in future she'll be able to have a successful wank, guilt-free, and without losing any digits. I thought you'd already said the best sentence in this episode, and I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> this was it. <laughs> I hope she can have a successful wank without losing any digits. That yeah, dark. you know, I mean, <laughs> just... just no, no young woman should be denied that right, Anna, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Especially not by your own vagina. <laughs> you know what? Amen. Yes. Let that be. If you're going to take one thing from the season, listener, let it be that. No girl should be denied. The, r- oh my God. <laughs> the right to have a wank without losing her fingers <laughs> and on that note what did you think of the effects oh amazing like <laughs> so great they are used um they use quite sparingly so although there isn't mm-hmm. it's not a film that's drenched in blood that you know there's not there's not loads of gore all the mm-hmm. way through it the couple mm. of shots that you get, um, like two or three of either the severed penises themselves um, looking sort of very sad and detached mm-hmm. um, or the shots of like the guy's 
groins as they kind of cradle (laughs) themselves um with just like blood kind of gushing like well they just look kind of horrified um i mean like this is if you haven't already picked up on this anna this is very much my vibe (laughs) i'm definitely picking up on that becky (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that the effects very successfully convey um, the like the brutality of it, but also like you know I talked earlier about it being like quite a satisfying film, and it I don't think it would be as satisfying to the viewer. Probably you know speaking as a woman, like if it was just implied, it would be cool Mm -hmm. but because you like you really get to see it like you get to see severed dicks on floors and then like gushing holes where the dick was like 30 seconds ago i just Mm -hmm. yeah that that kind of it it just really kind of brings that home you know (laughs) i i fully expected you to say right there that just puts a smile on my face and I was almost (laughs) gobsmacked when you didn't (laughs) look I know that this is an audio medium but I think everybody knows that there's a smile on my face right now (laughs) (laughs) I can I can hear your smile from my headphones as I'm saying it as well no um I think do you know what I think you hit the nail on the head there I think this would have been an entirely different film a much shyer film if it didn't show the severed penises yeah because it's it has sort of a a cult following now it certainly kind of didn't um fare super well with critics when it came out even though it was at sundance successfully and it won um jess weixler who plays the lead don won an award at sundance as well for her performance she's Um, amazing yeah she's extraordinary she's so funny yeah but if it was just the implication that it would have been much more art house, much more kind of serious horror, but there is something ridiculous. There is something ridiculous about the image, just the image of a penis yeah. detached from a man's body yeah. on the floor. It looks so sad. I think when it's contrasted so so sort of strongly, I guess, with with the the violent acts that often precede that. So with Toby, he rapes her. With the second guy, whose name I actually haven't picked up, um, but um, the guy who like it is Ryan. Ryan. So Ryan, the guy who has the bet. Um, even though you know, <laughs> it looks at first like he's doing all the right things. He's like he's lit candles and he's got a vibrator, and it's like oh, he's he was reading he's... a book called Pleasuring Women. Um, when she arrived at his garage. I was I gonna mean, take his house, his garage. What a what Aww. a little teen Romeo. But then Aww. you also kind of realise that he's like like there's that really, really funny moment. Like we talk about um mm. Jen Weixler being like really, you know, great at the comedy beats and stuff. There's that bit where she's in the bath at, at his place and he comes in and you just kind of hear him off screen and he says, um, oh, uh, my mom takes these when she needs to relax. And like the way yeah. her hand just like shoots up out of the bubbles because she's just like, gimme. It's so yes. good. But then like he doesn't tell her till afterwards that th- they'll kind of make her woozy. 
then mm. he throws champagne on top of it as well and so i i feel that there is a bit of um like not not date rape because she does consent yeah. like verbally consent but i don't know like that just it feels a bit nasty to me the fact that he's kind of given her this stuff that makes her woozy but he didn't tell her that before he gave mm. it to her and then like they're drinking as well anyway but he's literally inside her when he takes mm-hmm. this phone call and admits to her that he had the bet with his friend that he could have sex with her and then chomp like the chomp. The, the defense mechanism kicks in she it, she's like she's like oh this guy is a dickhead he is a bad man let's let's get rid of this penis to be and- fair she should have chomped it off just because he picked up the fucking phone while yes! he was having sex with her. Thank you. Like that 100%. in itself. No. <laughs> One. No. Hundred percent. But just so there's no, just so there's no like doubt in it, you add the bet on top. It's like okay, right. Well, she's entirely justified now. Yeah. It's not just yeah. that he's being a bit rude. It's like no, no, no. He's actually bad egg. Yes. That's a ma- that's a massive red flag. Oh, dreadful. Just dreadful behavior. <laughs> and then with with Brad later like I mean that is that is proper, you know, she she goes in there. That is the sort of first moment that she really weaponizes this yeah. this, this thing that she's got, right? This ability. She weaponizes um, the wab. Yeah. <laughs> can we get t-shirts that say weaponize my wap <gasps> becky you know i will you know making fake t-shirts <laughs> is my passion oh my god i'm dead <laughs> this is the most teenage podcast we've ever recorded together <laughs> oh my god you've killed me <laughs> the point i was trying to make sorry Anna, was that I'm bringing the quality down. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're just, you're meeting me in the gutters. That's what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) So, you get Toby the rapist. He is hard inside her when, obviously, he's raping her. You get Ryan the gambler, sure. Um, The romantic gambler, who is hard inside her when she bites it off. And then you get brad this creepy stepbrother who literally didn't go to her mum's cries for help because he was Mm -hmm. too busy doing his girlfriend michelle in the ass when all she really wants him to do is do her in the vagina it's like he's a very bad man and so she again chomps it off when he's hard and it's these beautiful um like contrasts between the the violence and the like it like like her just being degraded and kind of like disrespected time and time and time again with these erect penises and then she chops them off and then you get the effects of those just sad (laughs) sad little nubs on the floor and it's that like that is that's that's the glory of this movie. I think yes, you're right, and especially the fact that Brad is such a re- 
ridiculous little man. Mm-hmm. Like he's extremely nothing and mm-hmm. so kind of he like punches Ryan in the face when he <gasps> comes by, tries to ask her <sighs> out on a date. And like he literally does not help her sick mom when she's crying out for help. Honestly. Like that's that relationship with her mother. And you know, you mentioned before she's got a really lovely um relationship with her stepdad as well. But that's her family, her mom. And he basically lets her die. Let's her die. Yeah. Yeah. Brad's gonna go. I mean his tattoos are terrible. I mean like so bad. So bad. And he keeps a dog in a cage. He is and he makes his worst. girlfriend eat dog biscuits. And all of this adds up to bad Brad. But then, like you say, like he really does kind of take that well, that just like unbelievable, unforgivable step of mm. like it, like Melanie says something to her when they when says something to Dawn when they're at the hospital. Mm. Like, oh, he said like she does it all the time and to just ignore it. Yeah. And it's like like she is she's dead now like dawn has lost her mum um but you need you need that extremity Hmm. for dawn to then um kind of start like taking that like proactive action don't you for her to like really go down the revenge route and it's also the perfect sort of bookend for dawn because the film starts with her and Brad sort of as, as small children um, kind of playing in the pool. And we can see that that's when the, that we know that the de- defense mechanism mm. has always been there because Brad touches her and he mm-hmm. gets a bit of his finger, um, not chopped off, but he gets hurt. And then he is the final kind of weight on her shoulders that she needs to get rid of in a way. So he hurts her the most when he um, essentially causes the death of her mother mm. and doesn't help her. So it it has to, that, that chapter of her journey sort of starts in a way and ends with Brad. So she has to, she has to kill him. She has yeah. to finish him off. Yeah, Brad has to absolutely. go. Absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it. And then, you know, the next, um, with the ending, she's, she's off on her merry way. She's hitchhiking. What do you make of the of the ending? I like it because I think that it shows that she is going to be able to protect herself. You know, she's had to remove herself from mm-hmm. the situation that she had at home um, with like after Toby and Ryan mm-hmm. and the doctor and um, Brad. I do worry about I do worry about dad a little bit because. Yeah, like, dad did nothing wrong dad did nothing wrong and like he's lost his wife and his daughter and his son now has no penis so he's probably going to have even more of a chip on his shoulder than he did in the first place so he's gonna have that to deal with um Mm. so like i don't know i i'd like to see some sort of like post-credits sting just where we find out that dad is somehow happy um but for for dawn like i love that there there's this idea that she has left all of that behind and that she's going to be able to protect herself at least in that way. And I hope to God that she, well, one of two things, either she never has to use it again 
and this was just like a kind of dark and um sort of violent part of her adolescence that she can then like leave behind and move on or and i kind of prefer this maybe as an option she becomes some sort of like like avenging angel and kind of goes out there and like chops off loads of rapists penises with her vagina <laughs> teeth to the revenge yes. teeth to the weaponing child i'm so it's sorry too good. no no it's too good it's too good i'm speechless i think there's i think there's an argument to be made that it's like oh for fuck's sake like she just got in like a like a guy's car like she's just like why does he also have to be a creep like oh all she encounters, so gross that thing where she like wakes up and that look on his face the way he's like smacking his lips it's, he's doing the thing with the tongue as like fucking uh, bite just get your murder vagina to bite it off right so i think there's there's part of me that sort of thinks like oh come on like give the girl a break like mm. potentially even if i'm being very generous give men a bit of a break because you know it's, it's another one, right? Like, straight away. It's like, come on, can't she have one car ride without somebody trying to, like, fuck her? But I think that I think that the movie deals with it well. And, and, and as as this kind of comedy aspect, just the, the kind of way that she... She's just so suddenly, like, resigned to it. And the way she just sort of turns and, like, looks to him with this little smile on her face. And you can sort of think to yourself, like, yeah, you're going to get what's fucking coming to you, mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love the little smile at the end. Like, how her face changes and she almost, like, remembers yes. her, her power. And she's like, oh... You don't know what's coming, do you? You're missing with the wrong vagina, buddy. <laughs> um, is there anything that we haven't spoken about that you wanted to talk about about teeth? So, yeah, there was one final thing that I sort of wanted to um, ask you about, really, was so the, the home their home and a lot of the movie like the town sort of plays out in the shadow of this power station and obviously dawn mm -hmm. has got this kind of mutation i guess you could call it you know we there's there's a scene in um the science class where the teacher is talking about like um rattlesnakes and um mm -hmm. there's you know there's a lot of kind of uh, sort of satirical religious subtext under the movie and the fact that the more religious students in the class are kind of rolling their eyes on over the explanations of evolution and stuff and mm -hmm. also dawn's mum is unwell and you get this idea that that is like quite a kind of ongoing um disease or condition she's got i don't know if it's cancer but yeah. again i wonder if it's caused or, or the suggestion is mm -hmm. that it's kind of caused by these 
these huge sort of hulking towering chimneys that kind of overshadow the scene and I wondered what you thought about that like you know do you think that the film is explicitly kind of trying to weave in an environmental message and also do you think that the suggestion is that Dawn's vagina dentata is kind of a result of that I think that's a very good read on the film I have two way I have two opinions my opinion is split much like those guys dicks anyway uh Uh, yes this is why I'm single um so I think that the film kind of gives us so much about that the fact that her mom is sick or everything you've just said I think that's plenty for us to understand that you know a sort of a rational explanation for the vagina dentata is that, that it's like mm. a genetic mutation of some sort. Um, and there's plenty of seeds planted to support that. I take that, but I don't think it's necessarily the point of the film, But I because I think that one of the, the most interesting aspects of it is the sort of the the mythological and the cultural baggage of vaginas, essentially, and the way that men see Dawn and her body and the way that she's not listened to. One of the most, uh, one of the best scenes, I think, in the film, both in terms of just wild humor and also the execution of the scene, is when she goes to the gynecologist for an exam. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like... It's like she isn't, it's a very sterile environment and there's nothing kind of untoward happening. She's having a regular sort of checkup, but he's not listening. He's not even seeing her. He's not paying attention to what she's telling him. And, you know, the the defense mechanism cuts off four of his fingers. (laughs) And like she's fully freaking out in that scene. But kind of the point that I'm trying to make is the fact that the kind of the the explanation as to why she's like that, I find the least interesting aspect about it. So I actually agree with you that I think the nuclear power plant thing is sort of the the background explanation for within the, the universe of the film as to why this is happening to her. That it's not that she's, you know, some sort of like mythological avenger of women. That <laughs> she's the dark crucible that's come back to like avenge all men for being dipshits to women. It's, I don't think it's that. I think it's, you know, that sort of might be the logical sort of explanation of the birth of this of this, uh, of this this girl, this creature. But actually what the film is interested in is in the reactions to her. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I love that. Um, I think it's it's it is a why um, or it's it's suggested as a possibility for the why, but it's not. Yeah it's not the key kind of theme is it it's not the key message um also with the doctor so i wanted to ask he takes his glove off when he's examining her and like because at first he's got gloves on and then there's one yeah point that he takes one of his gloves off and it's that glove that he's then using to test her flexibility um and again you know she's sort of saying to him 
you know, it, it hurts. Um, please stop. And he's like, oh, you know, just breathe through the pain or some bullshit. Ugh, yeah. Um, but again, with the with him taking his glove off, I wondered if that was um, meant to show that he was kind of, I don't know, like taking some sort of liberty that he shouldn't have been. And also if it was some sort of um, uh, sort of taking the place of this idea of actually if a man if if a couple start to have sex and the um person who is being penetrated it understands that the penetrator is wearing mm. a condom for example and then part way into the act that condom is removed without the other person's knowledge or without their consent that that actually does mm -hmm. Um, count as kind of sexual assault and i wondered if that that was like maybe i don't know again i may be reading into it but i wondered if that was kind mm. of a comment on that i think that's a really interesting reading i mean on the the other thing that really struck me about that scene and i genuinely don't know if this is like deliberately written into the script or if it's one of those things that you know one of those details that perhaps as it is a script written by and directed by men um is something that just nobody thought about at the point but he uses like four fingers to yeah. quote unquote test her flexibility yeah and and the glove thing that you bring up a lot of it is suspiciously not what a doctor does not what a gynecologist does at an exam yeah yeah i it I said at the beginning of our chat, actually, that um, the first time I watched the film, I was much mm. more kind of taken by the shock of, you know, what was done to Dawn throughout the film. And this time I saw much more of the comedy. And there is so much about that scene, and you alluded mm -hmm. to this, that is fucking hilarious. Like the the slapstick of when... <laughs> scoot, 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 scoot out a bit more, scoot. <laughs> and then like the way that she sort of thrashes about and he's like he's like thrown around the room and then she like gets kind of flipped over like it's you know it is so brilliantly done like it is such a great scene um but definitely that was one probably the most standout scene that as we were coming into it on this viewing i was almost considering like skipping it like oh i know what happens in this like i don't need to watch it again like i don't need to see her be kind of violated by this man in a place of like trust and authority i'll skip it and then i was mm -hmm. like no come on like you probably don't know it well enough like you should just watch the whole film <laughs> so i was like okay i was i was a bit like her i was like right grit your teeth breathe through the pain um, oh, and actually but actually then on the second as i was watching it i was like oh actually it's not as bad as i remembered and it was mm. i'm glad that i watched it because i really did get the comedy out of it but i was uh, i was interested i guess to see again that there mm -hmm. there are these couple of things that happen that do just make it feel untoward you know yeah i know i know exactly what you mean yeah and i think i i would be so curious cuz i i can definitely kind of read into it intent but 
I do wonder if it's deliberate and I, I actually don't know if the intention is there or not. And, you know, mm, I do, yeah. I'm a big believer that kind of audiences re- can read things into the film that the filmmakers didn't necessarily put there intentionally. Um, and I think this might be one of them. I think it's like one of those things that say, you know, a more experienced Dawn would have caught on much early on. It's like, yeah. that's no, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. That's not okay. But I think perhaps it's one of those things that's tied into her innocence to her absolute lack of worldliness and i mean her like absolute lack of awareness of how people operate and how people think and also of how people see her because she doesn't necessarily see herself as a sexualized as a sexualized being but people definitely see her like that and of the things that are okay and not okay for figures of authority to do yeah, absolutely. And I think her, her her kind of her experience and her um like worldliness come mm. up in other parts of the film as well because there was a point that I you know she has got this fantastic relationship with her mum. Um you know, we don't see a lot of it, but it really successfully kind of um conveys that they've got a very close and loving relationship. And I think after, maybe it is when she's just kind of doing the Googling. And I sort mm. of thought, like, why why she immediately sort of turns to this? Like, why doesn't she go and talk to her mum? And I think, again, it's it's almost this idea of, you know, she's basically been indoctrinated into this way of thinking that is like, it's just it's just shame like her immediate reaction to any feelings or actions around Mm. sex or sexual desire or sexual kind of curiosity around her own body is just immediate feelings of shame and guilt and Mm. the idea that that um that that means that even though she's got a very healthy relationship with her mum that she can't kind of go to her as a first port of call i just thought again was just like quite sad but also just sort of something that was maybe being sort of commented Mm. on this idea that you know rather than (laughs) you know in in the sex ed class like they've got the pictures of the penis in the book but the draw the picture of the vulva has got this enormous sticker (laughs) over it enormous gold sticker like and then and the teacher like can't even say the word vulva or vagina. Yeah, he's like the the female, the female bits. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that it's like an enormous gold star. Just I thought was so hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like well done, you got this far, but you don't get to see it. Um, <laughs> you know, and and just just again this like this whole idea around around teens being told uh, that you know the these are shameful feelings shameful acts and the outcome of that being destructive rather than mm. protecting them you know it, it it's supposed to be protective but it's not at the end of the day it's controlling and whenever you try to control somebody um around you know sort of natural positive things urges pleasure um 
it's so often going to backfire and become much more destructive than it would have been if you'd just educated them and listened to them in the first place. And I think that I do think that the film is very successful in getting that message across. Becky, that's such a wonderful note to wrap up our conversation mm. on. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been the most fun ever. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about severed penises <laughs> um, and weaponizing our WAPs. <laughs> I could not have this conversation with anyone else. Thank you so much for <laughs> indulging my teenage boy humor. Oh, my pleasure. Becky, where can people find out more of your work online? On Twitter, I am at Bunny Dark. I'm doing more and more writing, so you can find my film reviews on the Zobo with a Shotgun website and also on Film Busters. And I'm just, you know, generally around pretty much every podcast that is in your feed. You'll be well and truly bored of my voice by now. Podcaster extraordinaire, Becky Dark. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna. That is all for this episode of the Final Girls podcast. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. If you can, please do leave us a review or just a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help a lot. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgoes.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thefinalgoes.uk. You can also follow Becky on Twitter at BunnyDark. And I tweet mostly dick jokes on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening. And next week, we're going to go deep into a jumbo-sized episode with a double bill of murder cheerleading horror films with the wonderful Jordan Cruciola as our guest to talk about Jennifer's body and all cheerleaders die.